tonight. Let's pray. Father, we ask that indeed that once again that as we come into this place, again perhaps tired, a long day, that help us to be attentive now for the next few moments. And Lord, that uh, as we make application, that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, uh, we thank you for this beautiful story that is recorded for us, that we can be encouraged and blessed. And Lord, that we can just see your faithfulness and love and redemption once again. And so, Lord, we give you this time, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so the book of Ruth, again, as we look at the book of Ruth, the theme of the book of Ruth is one of romance, second of all, of redemption, and then thirdly, of restoration. And as we move into chapter 2, what we're going to see is that this love between Ruth and Boaz is going to begin to develop. As you recall that Ruth was a Moabite, and she would be married to to the son of, of Elimelech, or uh, Elimelech's son uh, would marry Ruth, and then he would die. And of course, it was Naomi, Elimelech, as well as he died there in Moab, that they would come back. And so we looked at that in chapter 1. And so it's a story here of a very beautiful love story between Ruth that's going to develop here in chapter 2 and Boaz that we're going to be introduced to as we begin to look at chapter 2. And so it's a, a story of romance, a story of love, but also a story of redemption. As we're going to see that Boaz in this story is going to be the kinsman redeemer on behalf of Naomi and on behalf of Ruth as well. And then thirdly, we see in this book that it's a story of restoration because as we saw in chapter 1, it's a story that unfolds where there is Elimelech and his wife Naomi. They live in Bethlehem, there of the tribe of Judah. And there was famine in the land. And as we learned last week, that this story has taken place during the days of the judges. And we know that the days of the judges was a very dark time. It was a very difficult time for the children of Israel because of their rebellion. They had turned against the Lord, and we saw that it was a period of 400 years that they were doing what was right in their own eyes. So what was taking place was is that they found themselves being under bondage to their enemies. They found themselves impoverished. They found themselves in times of famine, just as we saw was taking place here in chapter 1. You see, there was famine that was in the land. And so Elimelech, his name means God is my king. He takes his wife, Naomi. Her name, as we saw, means pleasant. And their two sons, uh, Malon and Chilion, uh, song and satisfaction. And they would look from Bethlehem across the Jordan Valley, and they would see the mountains of Moab there. And they would say, it looks better over there. The grass looks greener over there. And they would do that in the time of famine. And one of the things that you and I as a Christian that we need to be careful of, especially if we are experiencing famine of any sort, perhaps because of difficult circumstances that we're facing, or maybe it's because maybe spiritually we're feeling a little bit dry or parched in our hearts and in our souls, one of the strategies of the enemy is to try to get you to go to that place 
where perhaps you shouldn't be journeying, that to get you to think that the grass is greener on the other side. And here was this family that they had an inheritance. The Lord had brought them into the promised land. It was the days of the judges. They had possessed the land. And I believe that that's what the Lord desired for them, is to be in a land and be prosperous and, and to be ones that were enjoying what God had given to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. But they would leave that place where God wanted them to be to go to a place where Naomi found that it wasn't pleasant because she would lose her husband as she was there for those 10 years. And Elimelech, as he passed away, we know that uh, Chilion and, and Malon, even though they were married, they ended up being ones that they would die. And so here is Naomi with her daughter-in-laws. They're all widows, and Ruth is one of them. And one of the things that we discuss, which is true in our own lives, you see, when you leave that place where God wants you to be, they were from Bethlehem. That's where their inheritance was. That's where God had settled them. And Bethlehem means the house of bread, and how appropriate that it's called that because that's where the bread of life was born. And as we leave that place where, there were, we have closeness with the Lord, as as we leave that place of being with God's people, and that's what they did. They went to go to be with the Gentiles over in Moab. And all of a sudden we find that it isn't pleasant any longer. And what you will find eventually is that your song will go away and your satisfaction will not be fulfilled because you're trying to find satisfaction in the things of the world. And God has created us to be ones to worship him and to find our satisfaction in him as we have intimacy and closeness with him. And so here they go off and they experience these difficulties. And so it was Naomi, as we saw, came back to Bethlehem. And as she came back to Bethlehem, she would bring back Ruth. And we saw the beautiful response of Ruth as she would say, Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. And so here is Ruth, this Moabitess, that is coming back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And when Naomi came back after being absent for 10 years, the people are excited. And I hope that for you and for me, when we see people that come back from the world, that come back from Moab, when they come to that place where God would have them to be with God's people, in a place where they're seeking fellowship and closeness once again with the Lord, I hope that we're excited about that. I hope that we don't have the mindset of, where have you been? Off to Moab? Well, so wonder you come back and bitter and angry and all of this. It serves you right. But we would be excited for them. And of course, it was Naomi that said, don't call me Naomi pleasant because it wasn't pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. And as we discussed last week, and I think it's worth reminding us once again at this time in our study, that we all go through bitter times in our lives, don't we? We go through difficult times and circumstances and loss, and that's what Naomi had gone through. She thought that the hand of God had come against her, but she's going to see that God's hand is desiring to bless her. And so Naomi is saying, it's been bitter, and call me bitter. But when we go through the bitterness of life, what do we do? We come back to that place of fellowship, just as she did. We come back to that place of being close to the Lord. And as we discussed last week, there was another time that God's people experienced 
experienced bitterness as they were in the wilderness wandering. And they came to the waters of Mara. And the waters was bitter. That's what Mara means, is bitter. And they couldn't drink of the water. And so Moses was told that you throw in a tree in the waters. And as he did that, the waters were made sweet. And as you and I, as we go through the bitterness of this world, because that's what this world is, it will leave you bitter. There is a false sense of, of fulfillment and pleasure and, and all these other things that the world seems to want to offer us. But in the end, what it will do is it will leave you and I bitter. Because the only one that can give you true satisfaction and fulfillment is Jesus Christ. And as we go through this bitter life and experience those things that leave a bad taste to us or perhaps that are hard and difficult One of the things that makes it sweet and begins to bring healing and comfort to us is when we look to the cross, Jesus Christ, the one who hung on a tree for you and for me. And so Naomi is going to see that the Lord is going to begin a restorative work. So the book of Ruth, talking about here a book of love, talking about a book of redemption as Boaz is going to be the kinsman redeemer as we read in chapter 2 and then as we continue on to the end of the book. And it's also a story of of uh, restoration. So chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And so we're introduced to Boaz, and that word relative is kinsman, if you have a King James. It is the Hebrew word goel. And we will see that he is going to act as a kinsman redeemer, and we're going to see what the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer was to be. It was to redeem um, the family's name and inheritance back to the dead relative to his name so he can carry on his inheritance. And again, we'll talk more about that as we continue through our story here. But one of the things about Naomi is as she came back, she's coming back to the place of Bethlehem. And she's going to see that that God is going to be good and faithful to her at this time. And as we talk about her coming back and the people are welcoming her and the people are excited to see her, and that needs to be our mindset as well. One of the things that that will help you and me, when maybe perhaps when you come back, maybe you've been away to Moab, maybe somebody here that, that you feel distance from the Lord, and there's another set of three R's that I want to give to you, and that is in Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus was writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, and how easy it is for us in this life that we can feel distant from the Lord. Maybe it's just because of, of the, the busyness of life and raising kids and our business and all the activities and, and things like that that happen. Or maybe we just kind of begin to slowly stray away, just as it was Naomi that her husband and family went off to Moab, which wasn't that far away. But then they would come back. And I think a good thing for you and me to remember is we can always come back. We can always come back to the Lord when we have those times where we feel like that we've journeyed to Moab. And as Jesus was writing to the church of Ephesus there in chapter 2 of Ephesus, he was saying, I know your guys' work. I know your labor. I know all the things that you're doing, but this one thing I have against you, and that is you have left your first love. He did not say you lost your first love. He said you have left your first love. 
So he gives another three R's. He says, what you are to do is to remember. That is, remember from whence you have fallen. And I think all of us, that we can remember the time when we perhaps came to the Lord and how we fell alive for the first time and, and, and how wonderful it was. And all of a sudden, you know, there was real joy in our hearts and, and there was that, that sense of, of shame and guilt that is gone because we put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're excited about reading our Bibles and excited about coming to church and being with God's people. But over time, we can start losing that. Maybe it's because of the work that we're doing. It may be even because we're serving the Lord that can happen that we become distanced to the Lord. We don't have time for devotions. We don't have time for closeness. We don't have time to really worship Him. It may be because of family responsibilities or work or whatever it might be. But remember is what Jesus said. Remember, you've left your first love, so remember what it was like when you first fell in love with me. And then He says, repent. That is simply turn directions. Quit going that direction. It's time to stop. And I know that that word repent is not a popular word that is in the church today because it always conjures up thoughts of restriction and judgment and legalism and all of this. But as I've mentioned to you before, that repent is a very wonderful thing, that you and I even have opportunity, and it's God's desire for us to turn directions and to turn to Him. And when He says repent, remember this, that it's always to draw you closer to Him, to receive His love and His grace. And for him to receive you with loving arms once again. Repent, turn to me is what he says, a loving father. So remember from which you have fallen, repent, and then you need to return. That is, do those first works. Remember as you were close to the Lord, go back and do those first works. And so here's Naomi. She has repented. She has returned. And she is now here and she doesn't have anything. She's with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. They're both widows. They're poor. And so all of a sudden, they're here in Bethlehem. And so here is Elimelech, has a relative, a, a um, kinsman, uh, Goel in the Hebrew. His name is Boaz, and he's a man of great wealth. And also we know that Boaz, his name means standing in strength. And as we go through these chapters, what we're going to see that he's standing in strength because he was a man that loved the Lord and walked with the Lord. And we're going to see that this was a man of godly integrity and godly character as we see him. And that's what gave him strength, and that's what's going to give you and I strength. I mean, this guy, even though he's wealthy, he's, we're going to see when we get to the end of the book, he's uh, got a good genealogy. He's from the line of David because David is actually going to be his great-grandson. And his great-great-grandson, Solomon, who built the temple, would name one of the main pillars of the temple, that beautiful temple that he would build, after his great-great-grandfather, Boaz. That temple means standing in strength. You see, this has taken place during the days of the judges. And I hope that's a, an encouragement to you and to me because in the days in which we are living in, in the culture and society and in our own nature, nation, we are seeing that people are doing what is right in their own eyes. And we're seeing that there's a decline morally and spiritually and, and a devotion to God in our nation and the people around us. But God still is calling you and I to stand strong, to stand in strength. 
And we can do that to the people around us. That's what Boaz did. And, and God was working in his life, and God blessed him. And God will bless you and me as we do the same thing. And so Ruth the Moabitess in verse 2 said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, we know that from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, as well as the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, God had told the children of Israel, when you go into the promised land, that not only am I giving you religious and, and ceremonial laws, but I'm also going to give you civil laws, and that is how it is that you are to live when you come into the promised land. And one of the laws that God gave to them was a provision for the widows and for the poor and for the orphans. And God said, I have a heart for them. I see them. And you are to treat them well. So this is how you provide for them. When you have a grain field, according to Leviticus chapter 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 24, you don't harvest the corners of the grain fields. You're to leave that untouched. And when it is harvest time, such is the case here in chapter 2, it's, it's the time of the harvest for the barley, for the grain harvest. When you go into harvest you go into those fields once and you harvest it and anything that you don't get you can't go back and and get it you need to leave that for the poor and for the widows and for the orphans also during harvest time if you drop any grain on the ground you can't pick it up you got to leave it there so that was the law that was given to them and that was a provision for the poor to come in and to be able to to be able to collect some grain and, and to feed their families or whatever the case might be. The same kind of guidelines were given to vineyards. There were certain you know, corners of the vineyard that were not to be touched. Anything that grew over the wall that people could eat. We know that if they dropped a cluster of grapes, for example, or some you know, other fruit on the ground, it was to be left for those who went in and gleaned the vineyards. It was to be left the grain on the ground for those who would glean in the, in the fields there. So what Ruth is doing is she's providing for her and for Naomi, again, who are widows, who are poor. They don't have anything as they come back to Bethlehem. It was the same thing that Jesus was doing there in Matthew chapter 12. And you recall that in Matthew chapter 12 that Jesus' disciples were in the fields, gleaning the fields on the Sabbath day. And you recall that it was the religious leaders that came to, to Jesus and said, what your disciples are doing is unlawful. Now, what the Pharisees were upset about wasn't that they were gleaning the fields per se. That was lawful. But what they were upset about is that the disciples were doing it on the Sabbath day. And as most of us know, the Pharisees, they were the separated ones. That's what that name Pharisee means. And it was before the time of Jesus, during the time of the Maccabeans, that this sect of religious leaders said, we're going to call ourselves Pharisees. We are going to be the separated ones. And they would take what the scribes took, the Ten Commandments, and what the scribes did was is that they made Ten Commandments into 613 commandments. And they had all these minute details of the law and all these rules and regulations concerning keeping the Sabbath and what it meant to work and, and what was lawful, not lawful to do, mostly what was not lawful to do 
on the Sabbath day. And so to glean in the fields was considered work because you would pick the head of grain, you would rub it in your hand, and it would, the chaff separate from the grain, and you kind of blow the chaff away, and then you would eat the grain. That's what the disciples were doing. They were poor. They were hungry. Some prosperity teachers need to know that, that teach, you know, sometimes that Jesus was rich in all of this and had all these riches. They were poor. They were gleaning the fields. So the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were upset. And, of course, Jesus would rebuke them and said that, you know, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. There's one standing here that is greater than the temple. And, and, and he was making those claims of being great and claims of being greater than the temple. And I'm the Lord of the Sabbath is what he's saying. And the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, Sabbath wasn't made for you guys to go around regulating, being a burden to the people, you know, putting everybody down and all of this. The Sabbath was made for man. That is, it is good for man to have a day to be refreshed and renewed in the Lord. But you guys come along, you're putting burdens on the Lord. Now, it would be that, that confrontation that the Pharisees had with Jesus that later on that day would continue in the synagogue in Capernaum when Jesus went into the synagogue, saw a man with a withered hand there in the back, told him to stand up and he healed them. And the Pharisees, again, were very upset because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That's unlawful. That's work. You can't do that. And it was at that time that the Pharisees, that event, that they were determined to put Jesus to death. And so that's when they began to plan and plot to have Jesus be put to death, which eventually they would hand him over to Pontius Pilate about two years later. And so here is Ruth. She's doing what is lawful. She's there gleaning the fields. And then as we read verse 3, then she left and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning till now, though she rested a little in the house. As I look at this, can I give you three more R's? There is relationship, there is respect, and there is responsibility. As I see Boaz here, I see a man, he has a relationship with the Lord. And here he comes, the reapers, the the workers that are there, those who are gleaning the fields, and he says, the Lord bless you, and the Lord be with you. And he's a man of godly character and godly integrity. So he's a man that has a relationship with the Lord, and we're going to see that very evident as we continue to know Boaz, as we see that he was a man indeed that was a godly man. So he has relationship, but also secondly, respect. He comes and he sees the reapers. He sees those who are gleaning in the field. And he's, he's pronouncing blessing upon them. And they're, they're pronouncing, the Lord bless you as well. And I can see that the people thought highly of Boaz here. You know, Boaz didn't come with this attitude of, oh, these guys in the field. You know what? You reapers, you guys that are working for me need to work harder. And, and you that are gleaning the fields, you need to go out and get a job. 
and just looking down and in all of this uh, uh, he is a man showing respect to the people that are working in his fields and in responsibility we see that not only was he a man that we're going to see that he worked hard but ruth was one as well and here is he asked about ruth who is she well she's a woman of Mo, from moab and came from you know moab with naomi back here and she's been working all day from morning until now even though she's rested a little bit so ruth was one of responsibility she was one that she knew that she had to go out and work to provide for her mother-in-law and for herself and she worked hard doing that parents i i want to just talk to you for a minute that how important it is that you teach your children, dads, your sons, and, and our daughters as well, these three R's that we see here in this text, that they need to know about relationship, relationship with the Lord, how important it is that they begin to develop a close relationship with Him. And I know that we live in a day where young people, they, they maybe perhaps don't want to listen to Bible study or they... they have a hard time being in devotions or whatever it is. But moms and dads encourage your kids to be reading their Bibles, to develop their relationship with the Lord, and to do that now. To have a close relationship with Him, but also to have good relationships with others. To be wise in choosing the relationships that, that they're going to have, who it is they're going to hang out with, and who it is that's going to influence them. And to be wise in those choices that they are making. And so not only number one in relationships, but second of all in respect. To teach them to respect others. To respect schoolmates and others at work when eventually they go out and get a job. To respect those who perhaps in positions of authority that are over them. To have a general respect for people. I know that sometimes we can say, how can I respect that person? Well, we're to show respect to them as much as we can. It doesn't mean that we compromise truth. It doesn't mean that we roll over. It doesn't mean we're a doormat. But one of the things that is being lost in our nation today is showing respect for others. And here is Boaz. He showed respect for those workers. He said, the Lord bless you. And he was good. And I think I just have a feeling that Boaz, even though he was a wealthy man, he was a man that he treated people right. And that's what we are to teach our children as well. And then thirdly, responsibilities. To teach our children responsibility. And to teach our boys to be young men. That they're going to grow up and they're going to need to show respect to the people in their lives to perhaps future relationships with a young girl that perhaps might be their wife, to teach them that they need to start paying their own bills, to be young men. You know what we see in our society today? I believe it's what's called the Peter Pan syndrome is what we call it. And you that know Peter Pan, the movie of Peter Pan, the, the lost boys that never want to grow up, and that's what they're saying is happening in our society today more and more, that young men that are not wanting to grow up and be responsible. And what my prayer is, is that moms and dads, you help your sons and your daughters 
the learn responsibility, these three R's are very important. If they don't learn about relationship, relationship with God and wise relationship with others, respect for others and responsibility, you know what's going to happen? They're going to have a difficult time in life. And they're going to struggle. And they're going to have all kinds of problems. And, and it will just continue and continue because I see it in people today. I've been a pastor for 18 years and I've talked to a whole lot of people. And they struggle because they've never learned these three R's that we're talking about here tonight. But here's the other question. Do they see it in you, parents? Do they see that you have a close relationship with the Lord and that you love Him? And do you talk to them about how much the Lord means to you and how He's blessed your life? Do they see that you have a respect for others? Or do you just continually put others down and blasting people at the dinner table? Do you... Do they see in you the responsibilities that you are taking on as a godly husband, a godly man, a godly wife, or a godly mother? I pray that they could see that in you as well. So here are these, these three things that we see very clearly as we read the text. And then as we continue here in, in verse 8, that then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And so don't glean in another field. You stay in my field. And you glean from this field and you drink of of the water that is going to be drawn from you. And and you make sure that you stay close to the young women. Stay close to that place of protection and safety. And the Lord would say the same thing to you and I here tonight. Don't go glean in another field. Don't go glean in the field of the world or the field of sin or the field of pleasures. Don't go there, but you glean in my field of redemption and love. And you drink of the water that I draw from you, as Jesus would say to that Samaritan woman, that if you drink of this water, Jacob's well, you're thirst again. But if you drink of the living waters, which I have to give to you, you'll never thirst again. Where do you go when you're thirsty? Do you drink of him? As the invitation is given to us to drink of him and be fulfilled and satisfied and be refreshed. But don't go drink of the waters of the world. And you stay close. You stay close to the body of Christ, to God's people. Be in that place of safety. And the Lord is saying, I'll take care of you. Just as Boaz is saying to Ruth, as this love is going to begin to develop, I'll take care of you, Ruth. He noticed her. In verse 10, her response, she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She is amazed. Why would you notice me? Why would you want to feed me and take care of me and give me water and a place of safety? Why would you notice me? I'm from Moab. I'm a Gentile. Isn't it absolutely amazing that the Lord would notice us? It amazes me. And David, he was awed by that as he was looking at the stars and talking about the glory of heaven, you know, and the glories of the stars that declared the glory of God. And, and he said, what is man that you're mindful of him, that you would even care about us? 
that the Lord would be our Redeemer, that the Lord would know you and me, that He would choose us before even the foundations of the world, as Ephesians chapter 1 says, that we are forgiven and, and we are blessed and we have a heavenly inheritance, that He would care about me, He would care about you. You know, that's one of the things that Paul was really trying to get across to the Gentiles when he went out on his missionary journeys and he began to establish those churches, those Gentile churches, in the book of Acts. And we see that he would write to the believers at Ephesus and he would say to them that you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. And even though God's people, the, the, the Jews, and most of the Christians in the early church were Jews, and as the gospel was spreading out, the Gentiles felt like ah, we're kind of strangers and, and you know, foreigners. And you know, the Jews were the ones that had the covenant and the promises, and the Messiah came and from the you know, children of Israel. He was a Jew, and they're the ones that had the prophets. And here Paul is saying, listen, we're one now in this thing called the church. There's neither Jew or Gentile, and you're no longer foreigners and strangers. And you see, as you and I come to Jesus Christ, we're no longer strangers and foreigners. But we are ones that we belong to him. We're no longer the concept of being a slave, as he would write to the Galatian believers, but you're sons, and as sons, you're joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And that is so wonderful to know that, that the Lord noticed us and has brought us into his family. And this is what Ruth is just amazed at that. And so verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me in all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. And the Lord repay your work and a full of reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. You can see just the godly wisdom here of Boaz. He says, I recognize what you've done. You've left Moab. And you, you've left your mother and your father's house and you come to a place. You've come to a place that's a good place whose wings you have come under the wings of the Lord for refuge. In Psalm 17, 8, David would pray, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. In Psalm 57, David running from Saul and hiding from Saul who was out to kill him. And it would be David that would say, for my soul trust in you and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge. See, we find a place of safety as we come to the Lord, as we stay close to him. And Ruth, you come to that good place as we leave the world to be in that place under the shadow of his wings, a place of safety and refuge that he provides for us. And so in, in verse 13, then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Jesus, when she, he was writing to one of the other churches there in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches, the last church that Jesus wrote to, to the church of Laodicea, he would say that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
And if you open the door, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. Speaking of closeness, speaking of, of fellowship. And of course, in the ancient days, that when you ate with somebody, it was a sign of intimate closeness and fellowship that you were having with that person. It's still kind of true today. When you invite somebody over for dinner, you don't just invite somebody over so you sit down and eat and you don't talk. You invite somebody over for dinner, maybe somebody new from church, a brother and sister or family. You do it so you can share not only a meal together and the food, but to have closeness and to be able to visit and talk with one another. That's what it means. And so here's Boaz getting to know Ruth as, as they're, they're, they're uh, knowing each other is growing and, and they're going to start falling in love with one another. And the Lord desires for you to come and eat with him and have that closeness and to know him more. And as you know him more, you can't help but fall in love with him more. And so that's why the Lord says, I behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. But you know what? There's a famous picture, probably you've seen it in, in bookstores and Bible bookstores and stuff, of that verse of, of Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you look at that picture, there's no, there is no doorknob there on the outside. It's on the inside. You're the one that needs to open up the door to your heart. He continually knocks, desiring to have fellowship. The Lord wants you to sup with him to have closeness with him. And in the Greek and the original language, it, it actually says that, behold, I stand and continually knock. And we're the ones that are to open our door of our hearts to him and to do it continually and draw close to him. And so verse 15, and when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may uh, uh, glean and do not rebuke her. And so he really wants to bless her. He says, you know what? If she takes from the bundles, don't say anything to her. Leave her alone. And while you guys are gathering grain, why don't you just drop a little bit of extra grain on the ground for her? Let's make it a little bit easier for her. He's wanting to bless her. He's wanting to lighten the burden for her. And just as our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, would say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I believe that the Lord desires to just be lightening our loads as we just yoke ourselves with him to follow after him as we glean in his field of love and redemption. And here was Ruth. She worked hard from morning till night. And here is Boaz that is saying, let's make it a little bit easier for her, lighten up the load for her. And you know what? As we just follow after the Lord, sure, we're busy and we go through difficult times and stuff, but you know what? His burden is not heavy. And I believe that he desires for us as we're yoked to him that it's going to be light. And it's not so burdensome in life because he's the one that carries our burdens on his shoulders. And he's the one that we're yoked to. And he gives that invitation, come all who are weary and heavy laden.
And so verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, so she brought out and gave to her what she kept back after she had been satisfied. And so, you know, she's, she's working hard gleaning for Naomi, and, and she's continuing to work hard here. And the thing for you and for me that you will find what will happen as you get closer to your kinsman, Redeemer, Jesus Christ, as you grow in maturity, you know what you'll find? That you'll desire to work for his people. You'll desire to serve others and to be his servant. And Naomi was doing this because she had a love, or Ruth is doing this because she had a love for Naomi, her mother-in-law. And so she's gathering and working hard for her. And one of the things that I find, and you find as well, that as we grow in the Lord, there's a desire to serve God's people in very practical ways. It is no longer just about me, but it's about others. And I know that before I came to Christ, I didn't really care a whole lot about others. You know, leave me alone was kind of my mindset. I didn't care if I talked to people. But when the Lord really got a hold of my heart, And I know that you've experienced the same thing. There's just a great joy. And notice that she was satisfied. And you will be satisfied if you serve others. You know, I tell people, when you feel discouraged or down or we go through and, and, and whatever it might be, you know one way that will help you is go and serve somebody. Go and help somebody in very practical ways, in very simple ways, in blessing somebody, making a meal or if you got gifts in fixing things, fix something for somebody. Just serve them. Come here and serve. There's so much to do and so many ways in which you can serve others. And what you will find is a satisfaction will begin to happen in your heart as you're serving others and, and serving the body of Christ because it's a wonderful thing to do. And so that's what she's doing. She's satisfied. And then in verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? And blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law on whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Man, where did you work? You've been blessed. Where did you glean today? And as you are being blessed, and as you are serving others, people are going to notice a difference about you, that you're drawing closer to your Redeemer, And they're going to say, you know, where have you been and where have you been gleaning from? And you can say, I've been gleaning in the fields of God's provision and love and redemption. I've been gleaning from the word of God as I know about him more. As as I grow in my love for him, we can tell others how we've been blessed and growing in a relationship with him. And that's what she's doing. She's excited. And Naomi notices it. And she says in verse 20 that, that this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And then in verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young man until they have finished all my harvest. Did you catch that? She said that I am to stay close to the young men. Is that what Boaz said to her? Check out verse 8. Boaz said you're to stay close to what? The young women. So why would Ruth say I'm to stay close to the young men? I'm not exactly sure, but can I give a suggestion? I'm going to give you one anyway. This is harvest time. And you've got to remember this is... Th- 
over three, you know, this is over 3,000 years ago. And in this time of harvest, it's, it's a real happening time. I mean, it's almost like a celebration. So there's a lot of activity. Everybody in the area is involved, and they come, the, the workers and, and Boaz, and it's almost like a big celebration even during the harvest time. And perhaps, just perhaps, Ruth is thinking, I, I am blessed, and things are going good, and things are going well, but I think I'll kind of drift over here to the happening place. I'll go over where the young men are. And rather than staying in that place where Boaz said, stay close to the young women, that place of safety and, and good relationships, stay, stay close to, to my field, take of the water that I have to give. Folks, listen, we've got to be real careful, especially in the day in which we're living in. Because we can easily look and we're in a good place. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we realize we're being blessed, but there's this attraction over here. Uh, the young men, the, uh, this pleasure, this entertainment, this, this pull that's over here. And I've seen it happen with Christians all the time. That I'm going to go over here where it seems like that maybe this celebration or party or way or something's going on over here, pulling us out of that place of safety and closeness with the Lord. I'm going to stop being in a place where I'm learning God's word and being with God's people and travel here. I'm going to go to this place where it's really a lot of entertainment and programs, maybe even in the church that they desire to look for. You remain in that place that you have good people that you're with, the body of Christ, mature Christians, you stay in that place where you're gleaning from God's Word. You stay in that place where you're being fulfilled and satisfied as you get to know Him. But don't be tempted to drift off into that, which God doesn't want you to. You be careful. We all need to be careful of that. And then as we finish here um, today, and so verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, Stay close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that you do not meet you, that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. It was Naomi that gave godly counsel and advice to Ruth. No, you stay in a place where you are. And that's what I hope, the advice that we give to others. You stay close to the Lord. Don't go off and glean in another field. Don't, don't go off in the pleasures of the world. Don't go off in, in that direction. But you stay in a place where you are gleaning from the Lord. You stay in that place where you're close to God's people. And you stay in that place where you're being blessed and provided for. You know, we truly are blessed people, aren't we? And this is a blessed church because God's love is here and God's word is being taught. And this is a place where we can together encourage one another and bless one another. And I hope that that will continue to take place as we grow closer to our kinsman redeemer, the greater than Boaz, Jesus Christ who redeemed you and I and continue to glean from the Word of God and to glean in the field 
of his redemption and provision and love that he has for you and for me. Well, we'll stop there, chapters 3 and 4 next week, as we're going to see this love that's going to develop and then come full-blown as we will see that Boaz will become Ruth's kinsman's redeemer. And so, Father, we thank you for this time in your word, this wonderful chapter that we made a lot of application. And, Father, may we stay in that place of just knowing you and loving you and fellowshipping with you, being satisfied and fulfilled, not to go after another field to glean from, the field of the world, not to be drinking of the waters of the world, not to be fellowshipping with those the Lord, who are going to draw us away from you. But, Father, rather than being light to others and being in that place of safety and other brothers and sisters of the Lord. And, Lord, I know that we're to be a light to others. And we have people we work with and people we live next to and, and people that, that, um, that are linked to us in our lives that aren't believers. But, Lord, I pray that we would be a blessing to them And that we would just provide a message of hope and love and salvation to a dying world. That we wouldn't get pulled away. But Lord, that we would desire to have them come and to taste and see that you are truly good. And Father, I pray that you give us wisdom. You help us to be as Boaz was, standing strong and standing firm. And Father, that you would be one that we would just know you more, and I know that's your desire. That we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but as we come in faith in Jesus Christ, that we are your children now.